dad's dad the borders. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. My name is Blue, and I am a dad without borders. Hello and welcome to Dab Without Borders and today is the due date of my third child. We're expecting a baby boy any day now and we are very much, um, yeah, just waiting now. Uh, Everything is ready. Um, I've got the truck packed with what we need for the hospital. Um, I put the car seat in ready for the baby. Um, I completely forgot how to put a car seat together, Um, but I figured that out with the instruction manual took me about half an hour um unbelievable seeing as i've been dealing with car seats on and off for the last eight nine years but there we go um so i've tested the support network we have a three-year-old so we needed to make sure that we have him cared for i have a big schedule up uh pasted up in the kitchen bit on a big huge sheet of paper um with all his needs and what the dog needs and when the you know, when the dog needs feeding and, you know, when the kid eats and what he, you know, needs to entertain himself throughout the day and all those kind of things. Um, So our focus, yeah, I think my focus really has been making sure that both boys, my boy overseas, who's eight and a half, making sure that I involve him. He's checking his messages on his iPad every day um, to, to find out is the baby here kind of thing. So I've been sharing pictures with him of the baby moving in the belly um, and yeah, just making sure that I'm, you know, staying tuned into him because it's really easy to kind of get distracted, um, put the blinkers on and just be really focused, you know, on mum and the pregnancy and the birthing. But of course the boys, you know, our three-year-old and our eight and a half-year-old, um, yeah, it's really important that, you know, to make sure they're not feeling left out in any way. Um, so that seems to be going well. My three-year-old, um, what have we been doing there? I've been sort of talking to him about the fact that me and him are going to spend a lot of time together, that he's really important as a big brother. So lots of positive reinforcement. Um, I promised him that me and him, just me and him, are going to go camping um, and that we'll have smokies and marshmallows and have a fire. And he's really excited about that um, just to make him feel special. He's got a big brother t-shirt that he doesn't know about yet. And I've also um, got the grandparents in the UK to get, uh, there's only one place I've found this, um, a set of three t-shirts, one for the, the, the say, uh, big, middle, and little. So all brothers have a t-shirt together, matching t-shirt. Um, and again, just to make them all feel a part of it. I could really focus on the toddler and then forget my kid in the UK. Um, and he would pick up on that. So if there's just the toddler with a new Big Brother t-shirt and then my son overseas is kind of there thinking, well, I'm now left out. I'm now not the big, just the Big Brother because he's always been the Big Brother to the three-year-old. Now the three-year-old's getting all the attention as the Big Brother. So I'm making sure that, yeah, they're all sort of taken care of in that sense, making feel... They're all felt a part of it. Um, So there's the camping. And then, yeah, just really positive about the importance of being a big brother and, you know, his role in that. And he's actually really excited about being helpful. And he said that several times. Um, So fingers crossed, we've got our backup plan. We've got our plan A, plan B, plan C and plan D for the toddler. Um, so we got neighbors and friends locally and an aunt down the road too, that can come and stay here. So we're going to keep our three-year-old at the home. So he's not out of his usual routine at the, at the house. He'll go to daycare if it, if it happens to happen on a daycare day, then he'll go to daycare. Uh, if it goes on in the middle of the night, we have someone who can come around. There's a bed made up for them. Um, and yeah, there's a big sheet of paper on the wall with all the, like I say, the schedules, Um, and the needs of the kid and the dog as well. Um, 
so yeah we feel like that's a that's the biggest concern for me is what happens to the toddler and making sure that i mean we can't just run out the door and leave him behind so i'm pretty sure that we got a tight and he's really excited about having friends over to look after him and play um so that's what's going on here um and the focus is being calm 100 percent being calm everything's ready now we've got two weeks shop done so the groceries are in um, the shelves are stocked um, we've got some pre-baked muffins and goodies that mum has put together as well to make life a bit easier in terms of food but yeah otherwise be calm and yeah rub mum's feet a lot and just get ready for sleepless nights so resting is important too so we are trying to trying to sleep and get to bed early um, I'm failing on that um, here I am doing a podcast for example late into the night but yeah so fingers crossed and I look forward to updating everyone on yeah how everything's going and hopefully well there will be a new baby boy when the next podcast come out comes out so stay tuned for that and I'll share with you how you know how everything went um, and touch wood it will all go well um, today very timely I'm talking to the breastfeeding father in fact, is his handle on Instagram. And his name is Eric Taylor. Um, really interesting guy who also has a child living in another country. Um, he's a Canadian. Um, or hang on, he's an American living in Canada, married to a Canadian. Um, he's training to... Or t- training, is that the word? PhD in clinical psychology. I forget the actual term. Um, and... That focus is on children and adolescents with the clinical psychology. Um, he's got a baby. You're a young child, 13 months, I think, right now. Um, probably 14 months now when this comes out. And his child in the States is eight years old. He's a military policeman. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting to, to, interesting to talk to somebody who's in a similar situation to me. Lots of differences, of course, as there always are. Um, but... The fact that he's dealing with um, having a child who's around the same age too um, in another country um, was interesting to check in about. And he also has some uh, interesting thoughts and experiences around, um, yeah, be, well, looking back on his the way that he was raised by his dad, um, that I thought was really interesting too. So lots of good stuff and some good tips for me with a new baby as well. Um, so if anybody out there is expecting or planning to have another child then you may want to um yeah stay tuned right to the end but otherwise i will let you jump into this conversation and as ever please enjoy so eric thank you so much for joining me on the show today yeah thanks for having me so let's set so if you can just set the scene like who introduce your family and where you are in the world and what's going on in your life yeah sure so um my family, uh, I am Eric. Um, I am a dad of two. Uh, I have a eight-year-old who'll be nine this year uh, who lives in, in Texas with her mom uh, from a previous marriage. Um, and I also have a 13-month-old um, here in Ontario with me and my wife. Uh, my wife is, her name's Samantha. <clears throat> Excuse me, she is a clinical nursing instructor uh, at Lakehead University. Um, and we've been here almost, wow, going really close to two years now. Um, we moved here from, I am from Chicago originally, uh, and that's where we were. Um, so we moved here to have our baby because healthcare. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And you are studying right now too, right? Can you share with us what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I'm a PhD candidate uh, in clinical psychology with a uh, focus on uh, children and adolescents. And so have you been working in that field as well? Because am I right to think that you were a U.S. Marine way back? Yes and no. So I was in the military. Uh, I was not a Marine. Um, I was in the United States Army uh, for 15 years as a military police officer. And then you transit. That's a that seems quite a transition from being a military policeman to working or studying around youth or have you worked in that field? Yeah, so what I did actually was um, I transitioned out uh, the retirement and then I needed to um, 
figure out what the next chapter of life was going to be. Uh, and so I had money for college. Uh, and so I used that and decided to study psychology. I had no idea why or what I was doing. I just kind of motored around in, in general studies for a bit. Um, and at the time, my eight-year-old was 18 months. And I kind of started to see like her light bulbs click uh, as she was developing. And so I was like, wow, this is where I want to be. Um, and then I started thinking about all of the opportunities that I got. Um, as a kid that I probably wasn't supposed to have and all the second chances and, and all of these things. So I wanted to give that um, to a kid uh, like it was given to me and give them the opportunity to do something better um, and have a, a second chance. Wow, that's awesome. Um, but now, of course, we're in the midst of a pandemic and like me, so my son, same age, he's gonna be nine in July. So similar age to your daughter, also overseas. Um, so what does that look like in terms of, you know, you're now over the border, there's been restrictions for the last two years. How have you, how long have you been away? How long has that, that been, there been a distance between you and how has the pandemic kind of impacted you? And what have you done to come around it? Like what are the tips and yeah. tricks that you found? Yeah, so the pandemic sucks, man. Um, We've been apart for over two years now um, because of, you know, you have to be vaccinated uh, to cross the border. And so for a while, there was no vaccine for children. And I didn't really know how to navigate um, that system because I was also in the middle of waiting uh, for my permanent residency. So I was here and I couldn't leave. Um, because if I left, I wouldn't be able to come back. They wouldn't renew my visitor visa. Um, and so I had to stay here and wait for that process to, to complete. Um, and so I wasn't able to go across the border to see my oldest, um, but we made it work with a lot of FaceTime. Um, you know, I write her letters, I send her cards in the mail. Um, I make sure you know, to, to send her gifts and send her stuff to let her know I'm always thinking about her. And, and you know, our lines of communication are always open. Um, she knows that she can talk to me about any and everything. Um, we talk now about uh, what it means to miss each other, um, what it means to have two separate families and live apart, um, and what it would look like for us all to come back together again. Um, and what it will look like when we come back together uh, this summer. Um, and so I'm hoping that she's able to travel uh, to Canada this summer to spend the summer with, with us here yeah. uh, and meet her little sister and all of her other cousins and, you know, spend, she misses, I think she misses her stepmom more than she misses me. Uh, so um, she'll get to spend time with her and, and, you know, be a big sister, man, and it'll be great. I can't wait. Has there been a gradual process to you having two years apart? Like, was there lots of like, you know, three months apart, four months, five months? Yeah, so we had, um, we had spent a lot of time together uh, the year before COVID started. Um, and it was a lot, I mean, I bought a lot of plane tickets. Um, so she came to Chicago a bunch um, that year. And then uh, COVID started and everything went to lockdown, uh, like, lockdown lockdown uh and so no one was doing anything uh, for about i think a good 12 months i was still working um i worked in a hospital uh, as did my wife she worked in another hospital and she actually worked on a COVID unit for a while um and so i was a therapist on the adult psychiatry unit um and so we were still working every day uh but everything was on lockdown so there were no flights there was no know anything. And then I wasn't willing to uh, risk the health of my daughter um, to bring her to visit me from where she was already at uh, safely. And so we talked about once we can do it safely, then we'll start to travel. I had no idea that it was going to take so long and that two years later, here we still would be. Um, and so 
sorry, were you in Chicago when the pandemic kicked in? Yeah, we, we were. Oh, so you moved to, to Canada during the last couple of years? We moved to Canada during uh, COVID. Um, probably, we moved in, in uh, 2020, towards the end of 2020. Right. Was that, I'm just interested, just was that a hard move? Like that, that would feel like a big decision because you were already separated from your daughter. And then in a pandemic, concerned, obviously, about, of course, about traveling. And then you're moving over. Like that must have emotionally have been that. I would imagine that would be a tough, tough time for you. You know what? It wasn't actually. It was actually easier. Um, I, the biggest emotional part for me was moving from Texas in the first place. Right. Um, and knowing that uh, because when I moved to Chicago, she came with me originally and she stayed it was the summertime so she stayed with me for the summer with me my mom and my sister um and then when it was time for her to go back um that was the hard part because that was the time when I realized okay there's going to be times when we're not together um I was a stay-at-home dad so it was me and her 24 7 every day um all day and so I went from that to being the non-custodial parent um and that was tough and was that was that a mutual decision with the mom or was that like was that a lot of push and pull as to try and figure out how to move forward with your separation living in different places it was more of a societal norm and by that i mean i just assumed that when we were getting divorced the mom was supposed to have custody I didn't push or pursue because I didn't think that that was going to be a benefit to me. And what I wanted more than anything was to preserve and protect the emotional and mental health of my kid. And I didn't want her back and forth in court. Who's better? Who's doing? I didn't want her to have to deal with that. And so I decided it was better for me to suck up being apart for a short period of time um, and allowing her to go with her mother, then it would be to bring her back and forth through that because I dealt with that as a kid and I didn't want that for her. Um, and so I just, I didn't even, I didn't even push um, that part of the process. I just automatically assumed that she would go with her mother and that's right. what happened. And so at that point from then onwards, was FaceTime a real feature, like regularly talking? was it was in the beginning it was difficult because i mean she was only two three years old so it was like facetime for three to five minutes um as much as i could hold her attention and that was it yeah. um so i did that every day probably several times a day um as much as i could to you know get that face-to-face -face time with her and talk to her as much as possible um and then as she got older it just you know gradually started getting better and was just before I knew it, we were having real life conversations you know, about growing up and what that yeah. means. Yeah, you know, I've found with the separation, as hard as it is to not have that physical touch, that communicating online, when once they can hold a conversation, you, you almost get to know them better in a way. And I feel like the connection, it's incredible, actually, because you have to be present with your kid. There's no, I'm too busy, I've got to do the dishes, I've got to do the laundry. You're just, you're right there. And I feel like a lot of parents are not, yeah, it can be hard to find the time to be really present. Yeah, and You know, the benefit I think is I've really, really learned um, how to hone in on her personality. Um, and so I know when she's being serious, um, when she says, daddy, can I ask you something? Okay, time to, if you're doing something, time to stop what you're doing and pay attention because she really has something to say. Or daddy, can I tell you something? Something happened at school or something with her friends or whatever it is, but she's serious. Versus, hey, guess what I did today? And she's kind of off and doing other things and maybe not really uh, focusing too well. But um, so I've really learned how to uh, hone in on and tune into her. Uh, and I think that's been a benefit of, of being a part. Yeah. That I've had to Yeah, I, feel, I really feel that. A new thing, and it was, I don't know if I suggested it. I think I suggested it and he was really into the idea of um, meditation, which is not my thing, 
I don't say that as someone who does yoga and meditates. I always have great intention of doing those things on a regular basis. Uh, and I would like to do, I'm trying, I have set the intention this year to try and do more meditation and get into it. But what's really great with him is there's a um, meditation for kids, which is essentially a visualization. And you just Google it on the, you'll look up on YouTube. Um, I forget the name of it, but there's one that's a spaceship and it's meditation for kids kids is what i searched and there is one channel um they have uh, a spaceship a treehouse and they sort of talk you through this visualization it's very relaxing i tend to fall asleep um halfway through it and it's only like 10 minutes 15 minutes we did that together when he was here in the summer cut no sorry here in the winter just now for christmas we did a couple he really really enjoyed it and i thought well why don't we do that when you're when we can so every now and again we do one and we did one yesterday and it's really sweet because he calls me at his bedtime. He's eight hours ahead. So I can just, I'll just take, you know, 20 minutes off work. And I lie down, I play it on the computer and I have, so I have my phone with, with him on. And then I have my computer to play the actual YouTube video with the visualization. And it's very relaxing. He lies down and gets cozy in bed. And I look over and we can see each other. We're both lying down. And um, last yesterday when we did it, he actually fell asleep, which is quite sweet. So I'm looking at him and there he is. He's just, we've fallen asleep together. Um, I, cause I think both of us actually fell asleep on that one. Um, but it's really, and he, it's not, not for everybody and it's not for every kid, but it's just, it's just another reminder to me of like, there's always another activity that you can try and do. And um, we don't play games online or anything like that, but um, just sometimes just talking is enough really. But um, yeah, no, it's super, it's really cool. It's a, re yeah, it's nice to talk to someone else that's in this, a similar situation with a kid overseas and having to use FaceTime. Yeah, you know, she likes to call me um, and she, she likes to read to me. Yeah, yeah, same. And one thing she wants to try and do uh, is I've, I've always been a big like workout guy. Um, and so I've, I've worked out like the entirety of her life. Um, and I'm always, whatever competition or whatever sport or event I'm doing, she's always been exposed to it. And so now uh, that she's eight, she's big into working out. And I think it's a mix of what she's been exposed to and what she's kind of being exposed to right now from her mom. Um, and I find it difficult for me to explore that with her because she's an eight-year-old girl and I don't want to put in her head um, a bad idea of what working out should be for uh, and what the outcomes and benefits of working out are. Um, I've worked with uh, children with uh, eating disorders as young as nine and 10 years old. And that's something that I dread terribly. Uh, and so a lot of times when she calls me, I watch, she has the, she does the YouTube thing where she, she'll look up and it'll be a YouTube kids and they'll tell you how to work out and they'll, you know, jumping jacks and, and flutter kicks and things like that, um, that kids can do. But it's something that I just kind of focus on her and watch and say, you know, good job and don't and try not to get too involved in uh, because I don't know where my left and right limits are with that boundary. Um, and I want her to have the autonomy right. in that part. Uh, and, so, and it's fearful. It's very fearful, fearful for me. Um, and so, yeah, we do that. Um, yeah. We do the reading and I'm, I'm trying to, maybe we'll try uh, some meditation. I think 10 minutes is a really long time, man. That's where you started. The first one was like five, but he really liked it. No, there was a five minute one. He said, no, let's do 10. And then, then after that, yeah, he wanted, I think we do like 18 minutes, give or take. It goes fast. You'd be surprised. Even try it with for yourself. Just lie down and see how it feels. But a short one, a sh oh, do you? I do meditation now from time to time. And I'm, man, I'm telling five minutes is a really long time for me. This, um, but when you usually meditate, is it somewhat like a visualization one? Because this one is somebody talking to you. Imagine that. So it's you, you creating pictures in your mind kind of thing. It's not just sitting there calmly and just breathing. It's very much. So it, for me, it's easier. 
like a kid's meditation visualization for me is like very doable for me to lie down there and just listen to someone yeah no so i've done both i've done like you know i do the, the mindfulness thing i've done it with patients um and i'm able to sit through um and kind of focus then but on my own um listening to someone tell me you know kind of relax and and focus on this my mind wanders a lot uh, and i'm often finding myself trying to you know bring me back to where i'm supposed to i know what you mean yeah well try it out i'll send you i'll send you a link but yeah pretty cool i just yeah it's the creativity of like how do we keep engaging with these kids that are so far away and it's very doable actually surprisingly um so i'm want to circle back because to the work that you've done and the work that you're doing because to me it seems like polar opposites um and you can maybe maybe that's not the case but it seems like you've been in a traditional male role in terms of like um, i say that traditionally in terms of like you being in the military women of course are in the, also and um doesn't need to be gender specific of course but that to me would seem like you know that strong strong male kind of like role as opposed to now more like with the psychology work you're doing and with the kids that more nurturing and curious role in the study that you do i would think um and i'm just wondering how these two different sides influence your parenting and your role as a husband or if you can or if you're even aware of the different sides of you coming out yeah, yeah i'm very much so aware um and you're right, you know, there, it was for a little bit um, gender specific for me uh, because the first half of my military career, uh, I spent in all male units um, with, uh, in units that were closed uh, to women. Uh, women weren't allowed to uh, join combat units at the time. Um, and that's where I spent the first half of my career. Um, and after getting out, so I went from being uh, a combat soldier deployed a few times uh, to a few different conflicts um, to being a stay-at-home dad. Uh, and it was a huge, huge, like I go from carrying a gun every day to making oatmeal and peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> so that was like a huge transition um, for me and it, it, it wasn't the best. Um, it did lead to some, you know, a bit of uh, dark times and depression and things like that, um, which I made it through. And I think that it informs me now. It doesn't so much necessarily inform the way uh, I am a husband, partner, and father. I think it more so, I think it's the opposite. Um, the way I am a husband, partner, and father now I wish could have informed the way I was a leader then um, because I was more of like, all right, let's go, let's get this done. We got to do this. If you don't do this this way, we're going to die or someone's going to get hurt. Let's do it this way because I said so right now, get it done. And I wish I could have been now understanding of, okay, this soldier is different from this one. You're going to have to figure out how to use their differences to bring them together to get the job done that you need to do safely. Um, and it doesn't require just constant push, 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 push. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, sure, that's a part of the job, obviously, but that's not, that's not the whole of the job. Um, you can still use your brain. You can still be compassionate. Uh, you can still you know, have emotions. And that was one of the biggest things where, you know, I didn't, um, as a leader, I had no emotion. Um, I felt that that would get in the way of me doing my job and doing my job effectively. Um, and now I wish that I, I've, there's so many scenarios that I play over in my head and I'm like, you know, that could have gone differently. That soldier could have had a different outcome uh, had I been a little bit more compassionate. Wow. You know, had I had a little bit more of that, nurturing side that i have now a lot of things would have been different so being a dad has really grown you as a person absolutely so how did you get i'm just interested because you touched on the fact that you went through dark times in that transition period of coming out of the military becoming a dad um and i would imagine coming out of the military period would be 
in itself was such a transition that a lot of people would struggle, especially with P PTSD, you know, as well from some of the experiences. How did you overcome that? Was it just you working on yourself and being willing to, you know, do the work because you had a baby before you and you had no choice? Or was there counseling? You got into fitness. I mean, I would imagine training would help to some degree. Um, it was a lot of fighting with myself uh, every day. Um, in the beginning, it was just literally fighting the darkness. Uh, and then I got to a point to where I was going to counseling, I was going to therapy. Um, I was meeting with my uh, psychiatrist regularly. Um, and I was basically going through the motions, doing what I was supposed to do uh, to kind of tread the water. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I had, I had a reason uh, to kind of come out of it um, because I had, at the I had a three and four year old. Um, and so I had a reason to at least keep my head afloat as much as I possibly could, although I was still drowning at the same time. Um, and then luckily for me, uh, you know, right in the middle of it, I met my wife. Um, and so that was like a huge game changer for me. Um, and it went from me fighting myself uh, to her fighting me to do what I was supposed to do. Um, and her like basically pulling me out of the water, throwing me a lifeline a, a bunch of times um, and forcing me to be better and forcing me to do better. So personal growth in terms of like your studying, because you've been studying for a while now. So just to kind of with the timelines, there's a lot of life's, you know, life's busy and hectic and there's all these different pieces that I'm just trying to pull together to understand so it seems like the studying probably came once you got settled or was that the studying did that overlap into the the sort of darker times that you had no the studying uh was happening during um because mo one reason was that's how i got paid um and so once i transitioned out um i was i had retirement pay um i had unemployment pay for a while um, and then I had school pay. So through the military GI Bill, uh, they paid for me to go to school and they paid for housing for me, which was paying my rent um, every month. So essentially going to school was my job. Um, gotcha. So I had to go to school and I had to maintain a certain grade point average um, to both stay in school and to keep getting paid. So is that, has that, um... I imagine studying psychology would have would be very helpful in terms of like maintaining a healthy relationship, uh, being a great dad. Like, do you see? Do you make that connection? Is it helping in those that regard? Absolutely, yeah. It, it helps to first of all understand who you are um, and why you are, and then uh, understand why other people are and who they are, um, and that helps you to decide who you want to mold and guide the little people, who you want to help them become who they want to become or how you want to help them become who you, who they want to become. Um, and just being, you know, having compassion for other people and giving yourself um, a lot of grace and room to grow and room to make mistakes um, and do things wrong and get things wrong um, and to learn from those things. So that leads me to ask you about your social media platform. So you have your platform handle is breastfeeding father. I always want to say dad, but it's breastfeeding father, isn't it? Tell me about that. What does that mean? Um, and what advice do you have for me? I can have a newborn and it's my third kid, but still we're always learning. And I feel like I forget with my last boy, who's three, and I have my eldest is eight and a half. When with a three-year-old, when he was a baby, I forgot everything from that eight-year-old. I can't remember anything. I, it's like we just blank it out. Occasionally, the odd thing I'll remember, like, oh, this is how you swaddle. They like that. But so much of it, I forget. So yeah, tell us about the platform and what advice have you got for me? You know what I'm learning? Um, I say a lot now is the things that I do with, when I'm doing something with my daughter now, I look up 
and I'm thinking about my oldest and I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Like, I'm sorry. I, I should have done a lot better, but you know, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I was doing the best I could. Um, yeah, I think uh, the breastfeeding father. So that came about uh, because during my entire uh, academic career, you when you talk about uh, a child parent dynamic, generally they're talking about the mother kid. There's nothing about fathers whatsoever. And so that always bothered me. Um, I even remember uh, at the end of one class speaking up and saying, you know, what about me? Um, and the professor, she said, what do you mean? And I said, you know, this is great, but I want to bond with my kid too. Um, I have a two-year-old. Are you telling me that she can only bond with her mother? Um, is her mother the only important piece of her life? Um, because I'm here, so what's my role? And she said, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, you're right. Uh, there isn't a lot uh, about fathers. And when there is something uh, about dads, it's usually about discipline. Um, it's usually about uh, how we provide and control the house um, and rule the house or something to that effect. Uh, and a lot of things uh, had started changing, even with, you know, Aston Kutcher coming out and saying there needs to be changing tables in men's bathrooms because we change our babies too. Um, but when we were pregnant with uh, my daughter now, my youngest, my wife said she wanted to breastfeed. And I said, awesome. I have no idea what that means. Um, I have no idea what that looks like and what that looks like for me. Um, what's my job gonna be? And so I started to do uh, research on that topic. Like what's my role in this dynamic of, of breastfeeding? What part do I play? What am I supposed to be doing? Where should I be? Um, and I found virtually no information. Uh, I saw a lot of lists of, you know, bring water, bring food, make sure you have snacks, make sure you do this and make sure you do that. And that was great. And all of those things are helpful. Yeah, sure. Um, you need to make sure, you know, you have snacks. You need to make sure uh, your partner's drinking water um, because breastfeeding is, is not, you know, a simple task. Um, but I wanted to know the mechanics of breastfeeding. I wanted to know what it looked like, what what did right look like, um, and what are some troubleshooting things that I could help with uh, if something went wrong. And so what I intended to do was provide information to dads on what their role is in the breastfeeding process. Uh, because in my research, actually, I found that when fathers have a positive attitude toward the breastfeeding process, mothers and babies are far more successful in the breastfeeding journey because they have the support that they need um, and the encouragement that they need to both initiate and keep going. Uh, the CDC and WHO both recommend uh, at least six months, if you can, um, of breastfeeding between mom and, and baby. Um, one day, one time is great if that's what you can do, but optimal is six months. Um, and if you can, two years is amazing uh, for the cognitive benefit. So I need to be super supportive. So both my boys so far, more than eight, 18 months breastfeeding, closer to two years. But um, so, yeah, and I remember in both cases, it was, you know, certainly I was very supportive of breastfeeding. It seems like the most natural thing to do. And we live in a community where that's very normal, I would say, to see mums breastfeeding. Um, and so, yeah, we would... I think in both cases, it was like, well, let's try for six months. But for them, it was very easy. And yeah, there were really no issues, particularly. Um, Why well, I say that as the man not breastfeeding, I'm sure there were sore nipples. And you can't drink alcohol as much as you might like. And you know, there's things like that. What's your Yeah, give me some tips and tricks then. So we've got I've got to be supportive as the partner. Yeah, there's two things, actually. So um, one for me for my uh, ex wife, it was the complete opposite. Um, and so my baby was born and she had decided she wanted to breastfeed 
uh, and she tried for about two minutes and nothing happened. And so she started to freak out um, and she told the nurse, just bring me a bottle. Um, and the nurse, I, it seemed like I blinked my eye and there was a bottle in the room. Uh, and we just started bottle feeding from there. There was no encouragement. There was no, hey, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to happen right away in the first 30 seconds. You just got to keep trying. You have to calm down, relax. Let's try this. Let me call the lactation consultant. Let's, none of those things happen. Um, and that's why I say, I look back and I say, I'm sorry, because I didn't know those things were available. I didn't know there was an availability of a lactation consultant. Um, I didn't know that breastfeeding uh, took some time to initiate. I didn't know what the, what that should even look like. Um, and so the next logical step for me was, hey, let's get a bottle and let's get this thing going. The kid needs to be fed. Um, and so that didn't happen. But for us, um, with my youngest, it happened like almost immediately and everything, you know, went, went great. Um, in the hospital. Uh, and so the first thing I, I always try to tell dads is once you decide together that breastfeeding is what you're going to do, your partner needs you to stick to that. Um, because she's going to be, she's just had a, she pushed a human through her body. So she's not thinking about um, what's happening. She's thinking about recovery, relaxing, um, what just happened to me? What am I doing next? Where's my baby? What's happening with my baby? Um, so all of those things are going through her mind. So what you need to be doing is, okay, where's the baby? This is how we're gonna support. What are the decisions that need to be made? My wife said we're breastfeeding and that's what we're doing. Don't let uh, a provider push some other idea um, that is either their own agenda or what they think without consulting you um, or telling you what's going on be there, be assertive, be supportive, um, and just be firm in standing your ground and supporting your wife and your baby, your partner, I'm sorry, your partner and your baby um, in whatever that means, whether you decide to breastfeed, bottle feed, however you decide to nourish your kid, uh, be there and be supportive of that. Yeah, so be a team when it comes to whatever decision making. So before your late, your youngest, your baby, latest child, did you guys discuss the approach, like we're going to breastfeed or, you know, did you, do you kind of decide what your approach is before, or you, do you very much think on your feet, you know, in that supportive role? Like this is what the mom wants. So I'm going to step up. We actually had a plan. Um, you know, it, it all went to shit, but we had a plan from the start. Uh, we were reading books. We were reading hypnobirthing books together. Uh, we were, we were, you know, looking up, research and reading articles online together um, and, you know, coming together and talking about what we found, uh, what our decisions were. I was listening to her and what she decided to do and why she decided to do that. Um, we had a plan of what, you know, was going to happen before we got to the hospital. Uh, we had a plan with our midwives, uh, what was going to happen when we got to the hospital. Um, and then just, you know, like life, some things happen and, and, kind of threw a wrench in all that and none of those things that we planned for happened. Um, and so we kind of had to shift and think on our feet a lot, Yeah. but we were still, <clears throat> because we had that pre-planning, we were still able to be calm um, and say, okay, this can't happen, but what's the next step? What can happen? What should we be doing without having to panic and say, okay, let's just do whatever somebody says without any input. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, you, you mentioned hypnobirthing. For my first boy, we went to a hypnobirthing class. And I don't know how, I mean, it's great. It's not for everybody. It's worth reading about and maybe, you know, giving it a go. Um, I certainly, some of the guidance we got was really helpful. I think it calmed calmed everybody down everyone in the birthing class it was very calming class it was really well run i have no issue with the way it was run or anything but one of the one of the ideas from hypnobirthing is that you very much protect your child from the outside world when they first come to being um so you keep the rooms dark and you kind of keep the noises quiet 
And we watched one video where one couple, I think, shielded their baby from the world for, I, I want to say six months, but that sounds crazy, but like maybe a month, it, definitely a month. Because we, and so we talked about that and we, that was one, one area where we struggled because I've, I very much bought into the whole hypnobirthing approach. It's just seemed to make sense. Child comes, is very traumatic, you know, the whole birth experience for a baby into this bright world. So the idea of shielding them and keeping them protected and tucked away made sense to me, but the mom, not so much. I think she needed more kind of connection and, you know, more of a community around and not being, so we kind of, we struggled with that piece of hypnobirthing. What did you take from hypnobirthing? And again, for some people, it, this is, it's a great, um, great path uh, for birthing, I think. Great information. But yeah, what was your, what was your take? Cause it's quite different to some, some birthing classes. Yeah, I just, I took from it um, the natural and nature's way of bringing human life into the world. Um, and I, the parts that resonated with me was uh, talking about the differences in having a natural birth versus all of these meds and interventions um, that doctors just swear you need and you don't. Um, and the calming, let things take their course how they're supposed to be. Uh, people have been having babies for centuries. We didn't have all of those things before. And I'm glad that we have them now, obviously, for you know disease control and all of those things. Um, but having a baby the natural way, being calm, being able to make the decisions that you need for your family and your body um, and just having a great uh, experience and not, not having, not allowing it to cause a trauma for you or for your baby. Um, and I was really big on, my biggest thing was making sure that my wife was always okay, no matter what that meant. Um, and I wanted to make sure that my wife was comfortable that she had everything that she was supposed to have, um, that we had all the tools at our disposal that we were supposed to have, and that we knew what we were doing, when we were doing it, and how it was going to happen. Um, and so I took from hypnobirthing that everything should be calm, there should be no stress, um, and what you say you want your birthing plan to be is what your birthing plan should be. Um, no matter what anyone else says, because it's your body and your baby, not the doctors, not the providers. Um, you know what your body can do and what's going to happen. Now, if there's an instance where, you know, medically we need to do this or we need to do that, then decisions need to be made and, you know, things change. Um, but for the most part, everything should be natural and everything should be calm. Um, and that's more so what I cared about. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder for my birthing class. You're right. That that was definitely the focus was, yeah, hmm. it's a natural process. And so to be calm and relaxed, sort of going into it. Um, yeah, and that's what I think we all did get from it, actually, was like, yeah, that reminder. Um, yeah, as in, I haven't talked to anyone for a long time about hypnobirthing, but yeah, it's good to hear you reflecting on that. Um, I want to talk about, I'm interested in who your father was because you had an Instagram post a while back, which um, it was a is a very lively picture of your dad. Or he he's very lively in the image, and you yeah. So I, I'm interested in who your father was and how how much he's influenced you as a parent. Yeah, my dad was a character man. Um, he was a character. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, for me in 2010. Um, in the beginning of 2010. Uh, but we didn't have the greatest of relationships when I was growing up. And none of that, I don't think now, was particularly his fault. Um, another thing that becoming a psychologist has taught me is that I can't give to you what I don't have. Um, I can't give to you what I've never gotten because I don't know how to do that. Um, and so when the one thing that 
we give to our children uh, is we model relationships and what relationships should look like uh, and what they mean for us. Um, and our very first relationship is the one with our, our caregiver, whoever that may be, whether it's our primary parent or grandparent or whatever. Um, our relationship and the way we cultivate uh, and, and nurture our relationship is what my idea of what relationships should look like. Um, and my relationship with my dad uh, wasn't the best when I was a kid from my kid view, because the times that he was there, but the times that I really needed him to be there, he wasn't. Um, when I really needed support, I couldn't get it from him. Um, and when I really needed uh, just, you know, any, any type of, of love or laughter, um, I got the opposite when he was there. I got the strong disciplinarian uh, brute force guy. Um, you have to do this because the world doesn't care about you. When what I wanted was for my dad to care about me. Um, I didn't at the time care about the world. I cared about my dad uh, and what our relationship was. And he didn't give that to me a lot of times. Um, as I got older, I realized that he didn't give that to me because no one gave it to him. Um, and he couldn't give me what he didn't have. Uh, and so thinking about it now and looking back at our relationship and the things that we did together, my dad had an immense amount, uh, a tremendous amount of love to give. Um, and he did everything in his power um, within his ability to shower both me and my brother with that love that he had. Um, that I honestly, I have no idea where he got from. It was just something that was within him that he wanted to give to other people that he knew, hey, I never got this, but this is what I want my kids to have. Um, and he didn't always know the best way to go about doing that, uh, but he did it. And I can you know, think back and, and see scenarios and instances of things that we did together where I'm like, wow, you know, my dad had just, an, an enormous, excuse me, enormous amount of love. Um, and, and he did his best to show that. Uh, and so growing up, um, after I grew up and I joined the army, um, he called me one day and I hadn't seen him. I was 20, 20 at the time and I hadn't seen him since I was 12. Um, and he called me um, I have no idea how he found me, but he called me. And, you know, we talked for a little bit on the phone and I said, hey, you know, if you're able, um, I'm in Kentucky, just come and see me. You know, we can, we can hang out for a little bit, uh, maybe talk and, you know, get through some stuff. Uh, just come and see and let me know. We'll work it out whenever you can, one weekend, just let me know. And so that very weekend, I'm sleeping uh, on the weekend off and someone comes up and says, hey, you got, you know, there's some old guy downstairs that's asking for you. And I was like, what, who, who is this? And they're like, I don't know, some old guy, you know what, he kind of looks like you. And I was like, wow. So this dude just showed up out of the blue, out of nowhere. Um, and he found me. Again, he found where I was, uh, what my barracks number was and everything. And I still have no idea how he did that. And so I called my mom and I said, hey, you know, my dad's downstairs. Like, I haven't seen, I don't know why he's here or what he wants. Um, and she said, you know, just go and hear him out uh, and see what it is that he wants to, you know, what he wants to say, what he wants to talk about, give him a chance. And I said, okay, um, I took my best friend with me. Uh, we went down there uh, because I wanted someone to be there with me because I had no idea what was gonna happen. And so I went downstairs and I, I saw him and I said, how are you doing? And he said, man, I'm so good now. Um, and I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. And that was like one of the first things uh, he said to me after I hadn't seen him in so long. Um, and the last time that I, had, I did see him before that was not uh, the best experience. And we had kind of like a huge fight um, to where 
He told me I wasn't his son anymore. Don't talk to him. Don't call him anymore. Um, and all of those things. And so I went almost 10 years without a dad completely to him coming and saying, I'm so proud of you. Um, and so we talked for a bit uh, and I, you know, introduced him to my friend and I was telling my friend about my dad and I said, hey, you know, um, I was in bed, so let me go and take a shower and get dressed and we'll go and, you know, grab something to eat and we can talk for a bit. He said, okay, I'm going to go down to the store and get something to keep warm with. So I knew he was going to the class six to buy a bottle of whatever. And I said, okay, cool. By the time you go down there and come back, I should be ready and I'll be back downstairs. I went inside um, and he left and never came back. And I never saw him again after that. Um, and then I think three or four years went by um, and I didn't talk to him. Um, and I deployed to Iraq and my brother sent me an email and said, give me a call when you can. And I just had a feeling that something was wrong. Um, and so I called him right away and he told me our dad had died. Um, and so for a long time, I had forgotten about or didn't want to hold on to that small interaction that we had uh, in Kentucky. And I just held on to the fact that my dad said, I wasn't his son anymore. He didn't want to talk to me ever again. Um, and our relationship was just crap. And as I got older um, and more advanced in you know, my practice and what I'm doing now and, and thinking about uh, what it means to be a parent and what I want my kids to have, my girls to have um, from me as their dad, I was able to start going back um, and looking at and really looking at our relationship and what that meant um, and what it looked like and started putting the pieces together of, okay, he didn't have this, so he wasn't able to give me that. I was looking for something that he didn't have. I was looking and I was holding his feet to the fire to give me something that he just wasn't able to give me. Um, and so now I think, had I known then about my dad, what I know now, had I known then about myself, um, what I know now, our relationship would have been far different. Um, I would have been a lot more forgiving. I would have given a lot more grace. Um, I would have engaged a lot more, no matter what the situation was. Um, I wouldn't have allowed him to tell me, don't call me anymore. I would have allowed him to have his time to calm down and cool down and then re-engage that situation. Uh, so that 10 years wouldn't have went by without having a dad. Um, but now I think, hey, you know, it's a learning experience for me and I know what I don't want my kids to have. I know what I, how I don't want them to ever feel. Um, and it helps me to be open in my communication and be honest um, and talk about my feelings um, and talk about things that might hurt me uh, I talk to my eight-year-old now about what it feels like to be apart, um, what that means, you know, for me, and what I think it means for her, and and I give her space to tell me how it makes her feel, um, and what she thinks about us not being together, um, and so that's something. And I'm also able to tell her about her grandfather and like what such an amazing dude he was, um, and how much love. Uh, that he would have just showered her with um, had he had he been alive when she was born. See, that's awesome. I think it's such a beautiful story because of it's just amazing that the sort of last moment that you had with him was him telling you how proud he was. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's a beautiful thing. And I, I think it's interesting for you to say that because I think you're so right that when we're kids, we don't really know we don't understand until you are a parent, you can't really reflect. <laughs> well, you don't have to become a parent to reflect on your upbringing for sure, but it really brings some stuff to the surface about the things that maybe you were lacking, not necessarily because your parents weren't doing a great job and doing the best that they could, but the fact that they were raised in the way that they were. And so in some cases, generational trauma too. 
But yeah, I really appreciate that you're sharing that story because yeah, it's it's a beautiful picture of your dad in the Instagram. So breastfeeding father is your Instagram account. And if anybody's scrolling through that, go and find the picture of his dad. We're, we're kind of winding down here. Um, so just in terms of time, I'm noticing the time here. So how on a regular basis, how do you take, because your kid's so far away, just a couple of things, takeaways, like how do you take care of your mental health on a regular basis? Like what are a few of the, the routines that you might have? Um, I work out probably every day. Um, there's probably, there, there's rarely a day uh, that I don't. Um, so I get up in the morning uh, while my family's still sleeping um, and I get up and I work out and move my body. Um, that is a part of uh, my self-care daily. I have to do it. Um, and in fact, I th there's been times when if I'm not having a good day, my wife will say, did you work out this morning? And so she's like, all right, we need to, we need to calm it down. Let's go. Or she'll say, let's go for a walk. Let's go somewhere. And do you guys get quality time together? Because I think you have, do you have family close by that can support you with the little one? Yeah, we do. And so right now, actually, uh, my daughter's with uh, her Nana today. Um, who is amazing. Uh, she has the most amazing grandparents that I could have ever asked for. Um, and they are like the people that will drop whatever they are doing in the middle of whatever they are doing um, and come and help us no matter what. Uh, everybody in our family is really close. So we all live within probably 10 minutes of each other um, at most. So we have an amazing uh, familial support system here. Um, and that's I, huge, that's super huge. It's been massive, man, it's been massive. Um, so there's never a time when we're so stressed out uh, that, we can't, that we can't deal with something. Um, and we still have our time together. We still, you know, um, she's 13 months, so we stay pretty focused on her schedule and her routine uh, with nap times and with bedtime. Um, and so after, you know, she goes to bed is, is um, our time to be husband and wife again, um, which means that, you know, we chill and watch Netflix together or watch some show together or laugh and look at something on the internet together or talk about, you know, what's, what's happening in the world and, and how we might agree with what's going on or disagree or what her view is or what my view is and kind of come together and, you know, talk about the things that we think about or what's happened to both of us during the day. Um, and so that's at night is usually after about eight, eight thirty um, is our time to be together. And we have probably, and we'll probably make it till about 11 um, at the latest because we're old now. So we go, we go to bed. Um, but then, you know, about probably about 12, between 12 and one o'clock, the baby's in the bed with us anyway. Uh, so once she wakes up the first time, uh, she, we co-sleep after that. So we have that yeah. four to five hour block uh, of being together, which is great. Uh, we get to spend time together and do whatever we want. Cool. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for taking time. I got, I'm going to leave you. I'll do one last question, which is just, um, so I'm going to have a baby in May 11th, the due. If you could go back to whisper in your ear when, you, when your first child was born, just before they were born, um, what a piece of advice would you offer yourself, which I can also use in the next couple months here? What I ask myself a lot now is, is it worth it? And when I say, is it worth it? There's going to be times when you and there's going to be a lot of times when you and your partner are not on the same wavelength. Um, there's going to be times when she's doing something and she's upset. Uh, there is never going to be, it's always going to be a comparison of you get to do this and I don't get to do that. You get to go and take out the trash and do all these things that you want to do and wake up and go work out and, and clean the house and do all these things. I don't get to because I have a baby attached to me all the time. And you're thinking, I got to get up and do all this other crap because you got a baby attached to you and I got to take care of the house and do everything else. So, 
you're saying that I get to, I don't want to do, I, there's a million other things that I would love to be doing right now, but I can't because I have to support my family. So both of you are kind of like at odds with each other about what you can and can't do. Um, and I think asking yourself, is it worth it? it? Will benefit you because you'll say, well, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to understand, is this argument worth the little bit of sanity that we still have left right now. Um, so a lot of times I'll say, is it worth it? And sometimes that means that I just don't engage uh, those conversations. If I know I'm upset, I keep that to myself um, and bring it up later and say, uh, this happened and I didn't like it to where we can have a conversation about it instead of a fight. Understanding that taking care of a baby and keeping a baby alive is hard. Uh, and that primary job, no matter what you do, that primary job falls to the mom, most cases, most times, because they know exactly what to do. Um, and we do too. We know what to do. We know how to take care of our kids. We know how to take care of our family. But our role is yeah, more yeah. supportive uh, than anything. Um, and it's more of, hey, let me take my shirt off and do some skin to skin time. Let me grab the baby and give my wife time to go and take a shower. Give her time to go and sit and have coffee for a second. Um, make sure she's not going nuts. If she's breastfeeding, that is hard. It's easy in a hospital because a nurse comes, shoves the breast in the baby's mouth and off you go. But that's not helpful when I get home because I don't know what to do. We're not in sync now. Um, the baby's not latching the way that they did in the hospital. What do I do? The baby's going crazy. They want to feed. I'm going crazy because I can't feed my baby. Everything is in chaos and nothing is going to happen. One of us needs to be the calm person to say, okay, let's take a step back and relax. This is what we need to do. This is what's not working. Um, this is what, let's try this way. Let's try this different hold. Remember the, the lactation consultant said this, let's call a lactation consultant to come by and help us out and see if she can figure out or they can figure out what it is that we might be doing wrong. Um, let's explore every avenue that we have at our disposal to make sure that we know what right looks like. Um, and also making sure that we not only know what right looks like, but what we can do to make what's right coincide with what's comfortable for us yeah man yeah good advice for sure try and be the calm one um eric so good to connect with you man um really glad you came on the show uh i've been following along on your instagram so i'm going to make sure that i put that in the show notes um, um yeah so it's great that you're doing that it's very different to see somebody promoting breastfeeding out there like as a dad it's not not the norm uh, so I appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing and what you're putting out there. Um, and yeah, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Um, and I very much so look forward to uh, talking to new, old, becoming or, or want to be dads um, about whatever it is that they want to talk about. Um, I welcome uh, DMs and messages um, and just open dialogue and, you know, helping out in any way I possibly can. I'm always here. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders. And a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.